What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. wonder what that means. I guess it means the wait for doing the show is over. I'm candid. And it's time for Leaf Talk with David Morisuti. Well, you know, it's uh, another wonderful week of ups and downs for the Toronto Maple Leafs. But what I can say is, um, the later part of the week, uh, they're looking like at least their minds are in the game. Whether their legs and, um, you know, I should say their hearts are in the game. Their minds, eh, I don't know. Still questionable. They're not They're not all there yet. They're having difficulty. Who would have thought, and David, I ask you this question, who would have thought that Austin Matthews would miss uh, a one-timer by six feet, eight feet, whatever that was? It, it does not happen very often, no. Um, that's, what I will say is, after what happened this no, last week with the God knows whatever that was called defense that they were playing, you could see that they're <laughs> they were in a transition of you know okay we got to tighten things up, but also the scoring has to kind of come from somewhere, and that was three right. well actually four different types of efforts that I saw from that team in terms of those outcomes. What do you think is, uh, at this point, at this juncture, at this moment, as we have this conversation, where should the Leafs be? Do they look like they're there? And if they're not, where should that be? Well, I think defensively they've realized that they have to, you know, I mean, except for the Florida game. That was one of those games where they kind of just didn't give they, – they left – the defensive effort went God knows where. Um, but it's interesting because offensively, especially the Nashville and the Rangers game, there was chances. But the goaltenders were just – it's really tough to critique those because you don't know if it's the goaltender or if it's what the team is doing. Um I think in both the game against Nashville and New York, Austin Matthews was snake bitten in terms of he had many chances, just nothing was going for him. Uh, and you can see that there was frustration, especially against uh, New York, where he decided to break his uh, $300, $400 stick in the process. So you yeah, can no tell his frustration. Frustration is part of it, but I also <laughs> think it's, it's, you know, them trying to. Uh, them trying to figure things out, them trying to realize that what they were doing before defensively was terrible. The effort wasn't there. So they needed to tighten things up. And now 
Like these games are also tough because you know most of them have been against teams that aren't in the playoffs. So I don't know if they're being challenged in the way that they were kind of hoping as well. Uh, to your to your point, um, yeah, the Florida game defensively seven five is a good indication that quite possibly it wasn't a titanic defensive struggle, but. I, I really their goaltender for the goals that were scored, but they really were goals that were I don't want to say unstoppable, but but they were of the lower percentage opportunity save situations as opposed to you know it, it should have been stopped you know that kind of thing. Also, yes, I agree. Austin Matthews is frustrated. Yes, he has even displayed his frustration by taking it out on a stick. But one thing you can say about Austin after that speech that he made about having heart, the guys gave up, they didn't try. You know, I think by by his reaction, I think he said it, and I honestly believe that he said it to challenge himself, because he didn't pout about the fact that he felt that the other players weren't trying or weren't working hard. He was challenging not only the team, which to me, his reaction and his actions tell me that he wasn't really doing it and saying, you guys all suck. You're dragging me down. What he was saying is, we suck. We need to drag each other up. And that's essentially what he did. And finally, on your opposition that they've been playing against, I really truly believe, and I mean this sincerely, I think at this time of year, the most dangerous teams to play are the teams that are out of the playoffs because they, if we, if you didn't notice against Florida, the cheap shots, the throwing your body into harm's way, the teams that aren't in the playoffs that are playing for next year's contract or pride, or maybe the last ditch effort to make the playoffs, you know, they're not mathematically eliminated yet. So there's hope. And it's, you know, it's the time is now to do something. I don't know, David. I think that's a tougher opposition to play against. And I think that prepares you even more. And I cite this fact. Over the history of watching hockey and following the National Hockey League, not every team that wins the Cup goes into the playoffs hitting on all cylinders. Every possible way you could enter the playoffs has happened for teams that win the Stanley Cup. Go in hot, go in cold, or somewhere in between. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone's talking about Tampa Bay and how they've looked this season and how they've hit you know, a gear that other teams haven't been able to hit. And some people make a great point in saying that, you know, that's, you know, they're kind of at their top gear, Tampa. What's hard is trying to keep it, to keep it together, sustain it, uh, because really at that point all you can do is go down. I mean, Washington uh, last year, they had their ups and downs. They weren't exactly firing on all cylinders when they went into the playoffs. They had goaltending questions going into the into the playoffs. So I, there are teams, and I, another one I'll bring up too is the LA Kings when they were the eighth seed and they beat Vancouver and went on that historic run. You know, yep. we, we, we want the team to be playing the best that it can be. Like, you know, that's that's a given, and I'm sure the team feels that way too because they want to feel good about the game. Real, real, but you're not going to get a perfect effort. On top, on top of it, very quickly, 
not only does a team from the bottom rise to the top in the Stanley Cup, the team from the top sinks like a rock in the first round and can get yeah. drowned. Go ahead. Yeah, no, and that's that. Yeah, exactly. That's the you know I, we've seen teams that you know they will go out, they win the Presidents Trophy, and guess what? The, I think the last team that won the Presidents Trophy and won the Cup was Detroit. Uh, and that was, I believe, that's when Babcock won it, if I'm not mistaken. So it's not a recipe for success to, you know, do well in the regular season and then expect the same for uh, the playoffs. It's it's all about how you adjust your game based on your matchups, based on, you know, the increased intensity that comes with playing in the playoffs. Well, I'll put it I'll put it differently, but maybe the same. Uh, I'll say this: every team that wins the Stanley Cup starts playing well when that puck is dropped for the playoffs and throughout more often than other teams. Yeah, no, I. I How you played is you? Sorry, repeat that part. I was just going to say how you played in the regular season is, is irrelevant. It's, it, we know it's irrelevant. What's relevant is how you play in the playoffs. Whether it's, um, to, I think you were alluding to it, and, and I, agree, I agree 100%. You know, uh, if you're going into the playoffs, the only thing that can help you in the playoffs is if you understand and are prepared to play in the playoffs. Whether you're successful at the end of the season or not, whether you've had a, a, a 1 through 80, uh, 82 season uh, games, games in a season excellent from 1 to 82, uh, like, for example, Tampa, it's no guarantee when you get into the playoffs. It's no guarantee because of many reasons. It's not just you. It's your opposition. And sometimes your kryptonite can be a team that maybe doesn't look as powerful in regards to the season and how the season played out. Sometimes it's just, for some reason, that goaltender on that team is playing like he's never played before. That defense is playing defense like it's never played before. That offense, that penalty killing, that power play, all those things are not guaranteed when that first puck gets dropped in the playoffs. It's about who's ready to play when that puck drops and plays the best hockey for four games, five games, six games, seven games, depending how long it takes. I can't impress that enough. No, I I, I agree 100% on that, Frank, because I've seen many teams fall victim to that. Like, look, Vegas last year, if Marc-Andre Fleury did not play at the level that he played, no chance they were going to that Stanley Cup final. No chance. Yes, and you're not saying – and you're not – Saying he's not part of the team. You're saying that he's part of the team. So you can't say, yeah. oh, they wouldn't have made it past him and the goaltender. Well, the goaltender's part of the team. It's the most important part of the team. If most coaches will tell you when a team wins a game they shouldn't have won, they always point out the goaltender is a reason or, you know, their offense was firing it also. And it's like, but coaches usually are giving goaltenders most of the credit in those type of games. And you ask anybody on Vegas last year, Marc-Andre Fleury was the savior for that team to give them a chance. 
Um, and, and, and that's going to be the recipe for a lot of teams, especially in the East. Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah, yeah. No about it, doubt it, buddy. It really has to be, and it really is going to be, a question of, you know, look, everybody has their opinion on what wins Stanley Cup, what wins the Stanley Cup. Everybody has an opinion on what's more important, offense, defense, goaltender, uh, you know, power play, um, truculence, toughness, uh, um, ability to play under pressure, all those things. Just like every beautiful food that's created under the sun, every recipe isn't identical. You know, you're a sum of all your parts. And if you're a little weak in goal and you have the offense to overcome that, Edmonton Oilers, you can win the cup. Uh, if, you're, if you're a team uh, that, that was great offensively and couldn't be successful, and then all of a sudden you discover you need more defense to complement your, your offense, Washington Capitals. You're a, you're a team that, that nobody expected to do anything, but you come up with a goaltender in his rookie year who does an incredible job in the playoffs, and after that, not so much, and disappeared into the shadows, you have the Carolina Hurricanes. You know, it, it is all about figuring out how hard you have to play in every facet of the game, and try as hard as you can to be the best you can be in all those facets and hope that you're good enough in most of them that the ones you're not good enough in, you can overcome. So I, when I say that, I guess that's a way of me saying, hey, Lee fans, don't worry if you don't have the best defense in the world. Don't worry if Anderson has a, a bad game now and then. Don't worry if the power play doesn't work. Don't worry if for some reason you're skating in quicksand. Don't worry if you're hitting a bunch of posts. As long as you're not doing all those things or too many of those things, David, you've got a shot, even against the Bruins. Oh, yeah. And let's not be like, you know, everyone's talking about how the Leafs are going to have a tough time with Boston. Look, Boston can run into a dry spell where they're, they're not hitting, you know, they're not scoring their way out of problems, where they're not getting the goaltending. Like, there's so many factors that go into it. That's why I think, you know, it's it's a point where people just need to kind of take a second and just just wait and see how it plays out. I mean, this is kind of why coaching is usually the biggest factor in the playoffs and how teams can, uh, can navigate through, you know, challenges that they may see, whether it's injuries, suspensions, or anything like that. If I were uh, Mike Babcock, um, I, I would now, at this point, at this point, especially considering where we're going here, it, it, the playoffs are a, it's a tough road. It's a war of attrition. And because of that, I think I would set aside that, that statement that he loves, starting on time. I think starting on time now is irrelevant. Because now it's not about starting on time. It's about effort, commitment, try, pride, no tomorrow. You know, it's not, it's not about starting on time. Uh, it's about getting on the ice and playing hard. It doesn't matter what time it is. It doesn't matter what point you're at. Because 
even if you're behind 4 nothing at the end of the first period, there is no tomorrow. You've got to show that effort, commitment, and that pride to be willing to try. And, and it's not about driving a guy through the glass. It's about being willing to be driven through the glass to make a play. You see, to me, my experience watching hockey over the few decades that I've been alive and able to watch, it's not more, it's not any more difficult than being willing to win. Because being willing to win is the hardest thing to do. It's the hardest thing to do. Being, you know, wanting to win is easy. Wanting to give up, even easier. Not trying, absolutely the simplest thing in the world. But wanting to win so much that all that matters is winning and nothing's going to stop you from doing that. That's the recipe to beat the Boston Bruins. That's the recipe to beat the Tampa Bay team. That's the recipe to beat every team that the Leafs encounter in the playoffs. God willing, they make it through and, and win that 15th game, and all the Leaf fans are sitting there waiting, and that 16th game is the next thing they got to do. To get there, it's about a willingness to win, a true willingness to win. And the biggest thing that proves you're willing to win is your lack of interest in losing. I'm not going to lose. We're not going to lose. We're not going to give up. We're going to keep trying. We're going to work really hard. You see, talent is great. Talent is wonderful. We all love talent. We all think talent's great. But talent is irrelevant. And Babcock has said this, and I agree with him 100%. It's not how talent oh, yeah. you are. It's how you use that talent. I mean, this is a guy, I mean, people, it's, it's really interesting because I, I've been seeing all these uh, comments about how Babcock is not a great coach. He's a... Uh, Overrated coach, and I look back to I, I look back to that. He's overrated in the fact that I think people are saying he's the only coach that can win, and I disagree with that. There are many good coaches in the league. That that's why I don't like the the comment of he's the best coach. He's a good coach. He has a pedigree that can't be denied because of what he's accomplished. And I look at those Detroit teams. And those Detroit teams would play that way that you were referring to, a way that, you know, it was more about how they were going to win and showing that they had the will to win rather than, you know, kind of just uh, fold when things got tough. That team was tough to beat. They made it hard for you to win. And they made it hard for them to lose. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so I think that's pretty obvious. And I think the folks at home will agree with us that effort is everything. Effort is what's required. We talked a little bit about that. Yes. Well, a lot about that that we just said. The effort is very important. But still, you need some talent because all the effort in the world with, lack, with a lack of talent, as much as we want to suggest and as much as the folks listening at home are, are hearing me, and I'm not going to throw you under the bus, I'll just throw myself under the bus, I make it sound as though all that matters is effort. Uh-uh. That's not what I'm saying. I want to make this abundantly clear. You know, um, it's like the sun in a magnifying glass. You want to burn a piece of wood, you want, you want, to, you, you want to engrave something when you were a kid, you know, you hold that magnifying glass with the sun blaring through it. The sun's not that hot. The magnifying glass has to be that much more important. 
So it's a lot easier if the sun is going good and that magnifying glass is a great magnifying glass. And then you get done what you want to do. You're hot and you burn that wood and you put your name on that piece of lumber and you keep it for the rest of your life and you think, wow, that was awesome. Well, it's because neither controls the end result. They both contribute to it. So effort and talent. The least have the talent. We, we all know that. We've all been told that. We've seen it from time to time. But what we haven't seen in the Leafs team over the season, and usually when they have problems, is when they rely on the talent and don't put in the effort, the work effort. I know people are upset with Babcock because he says stuff that irritates people. You know, unfortunately, you know, <laughs> he's Captain Obvious. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and that's maybe why people get upset with him, because it's obvious when the team plays lousy and he stands up there and goes, well, we didn't get an effort tonight. Well, coach, can you give us a little more detail? I mean, you know, and, and that's – but he's a very he's a very direct guy, you know, and there's nothing wrong with being direct. And you're right. People expect a lot more from him. And because they do, it's harder to meet their expectations. If you're the coach of the Detroit Red Wings and you win the Stanley Cup, you know, every time after that, well, you know, we're going to see that – we see that with every coach that wins the Stanley Cup. You know, and it, it's – you know, we talk about teams repeating. It's just as hard for coaches to repeat, if you follow what I'm saying. If you put Babcock in that lens, you'll understand a little better. This is a guy who is entrusted and has been entrusted over the past 10, 11 years, whatever it's been, maybe more, 12 maybe, carry the mantle of being the coach of Team Canada. That's no small chore. No, it's not. And, you know, this is why teams like Tampa Bay, Pittsburgh, Washington, Chicago, all these teams that have won a cup, multiple cups, didn't accomplish it right away because you've got to go through you know, a learning curve, a learning experience of, A, learning what, it does, what will keep you from winning and what it takes to win. Amen. Amen. You know, <laughs> It just does not happen like a snap of a finger. And I think that's something uh, myself, I, I, there's times where I get, I'm reminded, and Lee fans need to kind of be reminded that it just does not happen, flick of a switch. It takes time. You know, Lee fans were willing to be patient when the team was being, you know, torn down, guys were being drafted and developed. And now it kind of feels like that clock was just pushed to the side. It takes time. And I think Babcock, like, you know, the whole idea of bringing in Tavares, bringing in a guy like Marlowe, you know, they grab, they've traded for Anderson. People saw it as them trying to really rev it up and really speed through the process. Well, it was just areas of ways that they can improve the team to give themselves a better chance. But now people are just, they're thinking that the cycle, like, you know, it's like a rush. It's not a rush. There still has to be some sort of rhythm to getting to where you want to be. I think people are forgetting that. that. And staying there. You know, that's why the trades that people expected the Leafs to make or demand that the Leafs make weren't made. They don't want to mortgage the future for today because what they want is to have a long-term commitment to winning. 
They want to be like the Boston Bruins. They want to be like the Tampa Bay Lightning. They want to be like every other team out there. Uh, I, I know I'm mentioning teams uh, that have won cups. No, they want to be like the San Jose Sharks. Uh, they, they want to be a team that's in contention every year. And why, you know, why don't people understand that? Because here in, in Leafland, it's been since 1967 that a Stanley Cup has been won. And you can't blame the fans, David, for being impatient. But that's what we're seeing. We watch the impatience of the Leaf fans all the time. You know, they, get, they panic readily, quickly, because they've had plenty of experience in, in, in Leaf teams that have folded the tent and, you know, look good for a short time and then look like crap. But honestly, this team has looked very good for a long time. For two years, they've looked like a very good team. And only because they haven't been perfect, people have found negativity in their commentary, you know, in the commentary of others and maybe themselves. And, and, and like you said, I agree with you 100%. It isn't something that happens overnight. Sometimes you have to lose to learn to win, which is, I think, what you were alluding to. And you're 100% right, because except for the Carolinas and the Vegases, you know, most of the teams that have won the Cup have done it after failing some repeatedly. Washington comes to mind. Yeah, and the one thing I'll say about Carolina, once they got to that Cup and they won it, they weren't able to sustain it. So if I'm a no. Leafs fan or if I'm any fan, do I want my team? Now, winning the Cup is a huge deal. Only, there's only so many teams that could win the Cup, and it's good when you win it. But do you want to just win it and then go through this the, the real big downhill that the Carolina Hurricanes went through? You don't. You want to be there, and you want to stay there as long as possible. Uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, when they won in 3 4 you know, they hadn't been – they'd been there once, and then they weren't there for a while. So that's the, that's the thing that we ha- you have to be very careful about. Well, the Bruins, the same thing. This very group of Bruins, a few years ago, didn't make the playoffs. Exactly. And Tampa Bay didn't make the playoffs two years ago when the Leafs made it the first time uh, with Matthews. Tampa Bay wasn't on the playoffs. They had injuries, and they realized that they weren't deep enough as a team to overcome injuries. So they worked to build that, and now people – now they're in a position where they can consistently be a contender. It takes time. You can't but, but, just think that you have the recipe and can go through it. Yes. But again, you have to get to the point where you can dominate, where you have a team that's confident, not only in their ability, but willing to do the work it takes to win. And getting there is not easy, easy as is not staying there, you know, is not easy. I will say from my perspective, as a greedy person, if the team I'm rooting for, if I'm rooting for a team, I don't just want, like you said, I just don't, I don't just want them to win the cup. I want to, I want them to challenge next year. Who doesn't want to be the Montreal Canadiens of the 70s and 80s? Who doesn't want to be the Edmonton Oilers of the 80s? Who doesn't want to, who doesn't want to be the Islanders of the early 80s? You know, who doesn't want to be those teams? They exist, but it's very difficult. The whole thing is what you want and what you hope for 
and I'm disagreeing with you a little bit. If they can win the cup, that's the most important thing that the Leafs can accomplish. As much as I agree with you with having long-term success, long-term success without a cup is bearable. But long-term success without a cup, not much better than not being a very good team. You know, uh, that's why teams, when they get in that position, they work, work so hard when they come back the second time because nothing's worse than getting that close. And they have reminders. We have reminders of all the great players like a Marcel Dion, one of the greatest players to ever play hockey, never won a Stanley Cup. There are a lot of players like that. There are a lot of players who may never get a sniff of a Stanley Cup. So getting to the point where you can make it to the Stanley Cup and have an opportunity to win it, that is what every team wants. That is what every fan wants. We can disagree. You and I can disagree about how well we play after the Cup. We can disagree about that. But I think we we both can agree that it's getting to that moment, that peak, you know, of your career, that peak of being a fan, that moment when you are number one. You know, we've seen that, you know, here in Toronto, uh, you know, with the with the soccer team, we've seen it with the football team, we've seen it with the lacrosse team, you know, and, and uh, we're looking forward here in Toronto to seeing it with the Raptors and the Leafs. Um, it's a great feeling to support a team that wins. But as you said, there's no guarantee that it's going to last. But I, I say get to, get to the peak, get it done, and then worry about whether you can do it again next year after that. That's, that's how I disagree with you a little bit, the difference uh, of thinking. I, I, I'm okay with not even thinking about the year after you win the Cup right now. I just, I, I'd rather concentrate on getting to the, to the championship if I was running any NHL team, if I was running any sports franchise. Forget about, you know, it's management's responsibility. It's, you know, it's not Babcock's responsibility to worry about next year. Babcock's got a team this year. That's the team he's got to coach. That's the team he's got to push over the edge. So sometimes, to to reemphasize, that makes Babcock misunderstood. Because when Babcock said what he said, for example, I think people now with, with with a week or two between the comment and now, for example, when he was talking about we don't have the players, it seems, to overcome injury. He wasn't throwing that at the GM. He was throwing that challenge out to the players. And guess how the team played after he said that, David? Well, I mean, I, I will say, Frank, just, uh, I mean, as a person who's never seen the Leafs win the Stanley Cup, I would love for them to win the Cup. I think I, I should maybe clear that part up a little bit more. But, no, I, I think you're right. I, I can't disagree with what you said. No way. We have an opportunity uh, at this time uh, to, to, to live in the city of Toronto and, and actually, it's funny, it's ironic actually, the situation the Maple Leafs are in. It is totally ironic. It, 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 they are on a nice edge, you know, where they are and were the second best team in the league, the third best team in the league, the fourth best team in the league, the fifth best team in the league, and they've wrestled with being fourth or fifth best until they've had this real horrible, um, this dreadful slump that they've had over the past few weeks. They were third in their division 
fourth overall in the league, fifth overall in the league, sixth was the lowest they were for the longest time until this last stretch. So, you know, we forget, we forget how close they are to winning the cup because we're so preoccupied with the giant challenge in front of them to get out of their division, which is a nightmare, you know, for the fans more than even the team. I think, I think the team can, can have the solace and, and, and to look at it and say, hmm, we're not a bad team. What, what's going on here? People don't think we're that good. We're better than they think. And guess what? People don't know how good they are. We don't know how good they are because we don't believe they can be that good against the Bruins or Tampa Bay. So they have an opportunity to be the underdog going into the playoffs. Being an underdog, David is not a problem. It's not a handicap. Some might even suggest, including myself, it's a kind of an advantage. Don't you think? Oh, I think so. I mean, I don't think any team in the NHL, unless you're a team that just barely made the playoffs, will be taken very lightly. I mean, we, we look at, at teams that are in the playoffs right now. There aren't many teams where you can say, well, you know, I just I don't see them really competing or being a uh, a team that will run the table. There aren't many teams where you can say there are teams that are considered underdogs, but the, in in the real you know uh, let's say the real definition of the term underdog, there aren't as many in the NHL based on past years. I mean, you could say Vegas was like the big underdog last year, <laughs> and they they proved that they're not really an mm-hmm. underdog anymore. Um, I think, yeah, the Leafs, in a way, maybe it will help that they're not, you know, in that second seed, in that they're not the ones that are expected to to win. Maybe that will be something that they can, they can you know, use as part of their, you know, their motivation process, that people aren't counting on us, people are already calling off the series. You know, this will allow us to kind of go under the radar a little bit, although it's a little harder to be under the radar in Toronto than it is, let's say, um, I'm just trying to think, like the Islanders, you know, third team like that, Carolina, Columbus, those sort of teams that don't have the expectation or the pressure like Toronto, Boston, even now Washington has. Agreed. Agreed. But still, though, David, we have to consider the simple fact that as much as the pressure to play in Toronto is and how it's everywhere, it also will shine on the teams that come in. How those teams that come in is what's important. You get teams like Boston that are accustomed to coming into this environment and they use it to jam themselves up. Players who are from this community use it to excite themselves and motivate themselves. The question is, those teams that come in, as much as the lease can have, it can have a negative impact on the lease, it can have a negative impact on the opposition or a positive impact on the opposition. And in the the case of the lease, I I think, and, and if you're a Leaf fan, what you're hoping is that the Toronto Maple Leafs have played, are playing all year in this fishbowl. And to be suddenly in the playoffs where if you make the playoffs, now you're in a fishbowl. 
because now the national media is there. You know, the local media, if your team's in the playoffs, is going, okay, they're in the playoffs. This is the time we should cover them. You know, it, it heightens for everybody, you know. And and when those teams uh, like, a, like a Tampa, you know, that don't get that much attention or assuming, let's assume the teams that don't get that much attention – but the attention does accelerate for them even at home, not just when they go on the road to play Toronto, Montreal, Boston, like you were, I think, referring to. So, you know, it's all part of the variable process that we talked about. How the team reacts to the media is important. As important as it is, is having talent and the effort to, to make that talent work, you know. So this, you, you're bringing up just another variable that makes the difference in, in winning the Cup. Because, quite frankly, you can be an underdog and you have nothing to lose. And if, you have, if you're the team that's supposed to win, that puts a lot of pressure on you. So it's not easy to win when you're supposed to. You have to work maybe even a little harder than, than to be expected. And I'm not saying it's easier for, for the underdog, but the underdog... If there's something good happens, the goalie makes a decent save, a player makes a great play, they get a bounce and the puck goes in the net, they get the first goal, you know, you can build on that a little easier than the team that's supposed to do all that. So, you know, it's another variable. And that's what makes the playoffs so interesting. Toss in the officiating. You know, um, it's all the same thing, right? Uh, The officiating... Pressure's on the officiating as well because if they don't make a call. Look at yesterday. It really does look, and I've said for years, that the Bruins, get a, the Bruins and in particular Chara, gets a different brand of officiating. They get favorable reactions from the National Hockey League. They get, they get away with stuff that no one else is ra- allowed to do. We saw this year twice. We saw twice this year a player that was tossed to the ice leading to suspension. Chara did that last night, no suspension, and I bet you it won't won't even be reviewed. Yeah, I mean, player safety and the the way that the NHL kind of operates in those regards, it it is really tough because sometimes the refs are trying to send a message to the players, you know, especially players who kind of complain to the refs. You know, they generally don't get the calls from the refs because, you know, the refs, aren't going to do them any favors. So I'm I'm curious to see how it will be in the playoffs. I mean, I think you're probably referring to the Char incident with Evander Kane, and there was the one with uh, Barkov oh. the other night. Yeah, yesterday, yesterday. The game yesterday, wasn't it? Or was it the night before? Well, there was one against Tampa, well, maybe it was. too, yeah. Um, the one where the, the, it was only against Barkov. You were 100 percent right. That's the one where where he picked up Barkov and threw him to the ice. Yeah, I mean, body- and and there was and looking at that play, you know, Barkov also was grabbing too. So maybe the refs were just gonna. I mean, that's a play where you have to at least give a roughing call or something. Um, those sort of things are annoying. And I mean, I remember but there was a game. Much- you, you you started by saying player safety. Was it a play that could lead to a player's being unsafe? Yeah, I would agree. Should um, be a penalty. It should be. 
No, and you know the problem but with not uh, but not Chara. <laughs> but not yeah, Chara. Exactly. I mean, it's his size. It's always it's always tougher for a bigger guy because he overpowers players way like more times than I can imagine. And you know, maybe that's just the NHL needs to kind of throw the book at him and say, look, you have a high a size advantage here that. You can't just take advantage of that. You know, the, the refs do, I think, need to make those calls. I, I totally agree. And when it comes to player safety, when it comes to suspensions and all those things, I remember listening to a conversation. Uh, Chris Pronger uh, was talking about how any complaint that players were having to him towards player safety, he says, go talk to your union. Because in the CBA, all those suspensions are outlined in a way that, you know, this is worth this, this is worth that, find, you know, how much a player gets fined in the situation. It's all about the CBA. And really, if the players have a problem with guys not getting calls for suspensions, it's up to them and their union to make those changes to get that fixed. Well, uh, I think what you're alluding to is the NHLPA has had from time to time a player's injury and the rough play that led to that injury, people wonder why the NHLPA always falls on the side of the person inflicting the damage. As You know what I mean? As opposed to supporting the player who's hurt. They always do that. It's what happens. But to use your Chara theory, this Chara thing where he's bigger, we've seen, we've seen a much smaller player thrown to the ice by a bigger player. Size doesn't matter. When it comes to high sticks, is Chara allowed to hit somebody in the head because he carries a stick higher than the next guy? He should. I, I, I think he knows that. No. Right. So, so you know, I don't, I don't. Where are you drawing the line? You're drawing the line, in my opinion, because he's Chara. You're treating him differently because we all know that if he wanted to really hurt somebody, he could. And maybe that's why they lay off him, because they believe he, he's obviously not a guy who uses his size all the time to his advantage, doesn't play a dirty game enough to deserve a penalty. But still, even on that note, Hyman got a penalty. Everybody gets their first suspension, don't they? Who gets the suspension? Everybody's had a first one. So they weren't, they weren't, they weren't, you know, they weren't doing things a lot, you know, to get that first one. So, yes, it's not a question. uh, It's not a question of his size. It's not a question of what he does. For me, it's a question of do we treat every player the same or are there, are there different rules for different players? We saw earlier when, when, when he did something really horrible, the same thing that McDavid did, Chara didn't get suspended for, yet McDavid did. So even that theory where some people suggest, well, we, you know, they might be a little too lenient on the stars, doesn't hold water. So that isn't the reason they don't penalize Chara. It isn't because the stars are being ignored, you know. And I'm not saying that, that McDavid's elbow or shoulder to the head was, was a, a minor one or wasn't deserving of a, of a penalty. I think it was. But it wasn't even flagrant, you know, so it's not like 
it's not like they couldn't help but give the guy a penalty because if they could not help but give him a penalty, Chara would have been suspended three or four times this year, in my opinion. I would say at least a couple. You know, if they really wanted to get him on something, he would have, he should have been suspended a couple times. The one I think he should have for sure was the Evander King. Not because he's Chara, not because no. not for the to ensure yeah. that this conversation is understood. If you put every player under the same lens, Chara stands out as a guy who gets away with stuff. In my opinion, he stands out among all the rest of the players in the league, whether they're stars, whether they're big, whether they're small, whether they elbow to the head, whether they shoulder to the head, whether they throw guys to the ice. Chara on every bell and every opportunity has skirted suspension. That's something the league has to explain, not you and I. It's just an observation that I have, and I won't throw you under the bus by saying you agree with me. You've said to a degree that you do, uh, you know, and that's good enough for me, and, and I think that should be good enough for other folks. But if you're a Bruin fan, you don't want your teams to get suspended at all. You want your team to get suspended at all. So when you say that, well, you're just, you're just against the Bruins. And, of course, there's reality to that. There's justification to that. But the subject of penalizing Chara, you know, it, it, it's mutually exclusive. You can hate Chara, you can hate the Bruins, but you can penalize them justifiably. On the other hand, you can love the Bruins and you can look at him getting away with something too. So, you know, it, it's all relative. We'll see during the, during the playoffs against the Leafs how much freedom he has to break the rule. And if he has the freedom to break the rules, that's one of the challenges the Leafs are going to be up against. And then there's the other guy that licks Leaf players' faces. You know, I mean, this is what this is what the Leafs have to overcome. They they have to be willing to be brutalized. They have to be willing to be embarrassed, and they have to be willing to understand that they may not get a fair shake from the officiating, or a fair shake. I remember Kadri getting suspended for two games in the playoffs, you know, for something that was questionable at best. It is what it is. Yeah. We're, we're going to, we're, we're going to have to live with that. Uh, and, you know, we have to be careful. We don't, we're, we're not, you and I don't work for the, well, you do, but I don't work for the Maple Leafs uh, or the company that owns the Maple Leafs. I don't work for the league or anybody, whatever. I'm not associated with anybody. I'm just a, a fan of the game, and like I say, a fan caster. And do I want to see the Leafs win? I'd be a liar if I said no. I'm a Toronto kid, born and raised. I had the good fortune of watching three, four Stanley Cups won by the Leafs, not just one. So, you know, yeah, I'd like to see that for the benefit of you and other people who live in this community and the ones that follow the Leafs across the country, maybe even the world. You know, to see them have a, have an opportunity to celebrate, as I did when I was younger, much younger and very young. Yeah, I mean, I remember that Kadri suspension. And um, one thing I'll say about that suspension is um, I remember Kadri hit the hit the Bruins for against the boards. And the reason why he did was because Marner got hit in the head, like, 10 seconds before, like right before that. And there was going to be no call on the play. 
So it was there him was kind no of saying, yeah, and, and, you know, he that was just, you know, Kadri kind of saying, if you're not going to do something, then I'm going to do it myself. And, unfortunately, it didn't work out the right way for him. Um, but, yeah, it was not uh, – um, that was even not that, a great – Even that – even that series that they lost when they were ahead 4-1. Same thing. The officiating was questionable at best. But you have to overcome the officiating when it comes to Boston. It, it's a reality. And it's something, an extra challenge the Leafs have to overcome. And they have quite a bit of experience. So, you know, Kadri shouldn't make the mistake that he made. You know, uh, if a player gets, uh, you know, hit and he knows it's penalized and or suspended, He's still going to have to hold back, and he's going to have to preach that to the guys on the team. You know, the same thing happened with Hyman. Hyman did what he did for the same reason you just described. One of his teammates gets, gets. Uh, I think it was Marner, too. <laughs> that one was Marner, too, that Hyman got pissed because they went after Marner's head. And, you know, it, it is what it is. It, it, they have to uh, overcome even the, the, the apparent and or what we're calling an advantage the Bruins will have in the playoffs, we've seen before, we'll see it again. They have to overcome that. They have to overcome the officiating when it works against them, and they're going to have to do that, you know? And and they're going to have to do it by having a power play that's successful so that when they do get the opportunity, the fear of taking a penalty by the Boston Bruins will allow the Leafs and that was that's the whole point that Babcock made, you know, early. You you and I both know that. That he was saying, you know, our our toughness is our power play. Well, we saw after he said that, we saw how inefficient the power play was. So they lacked toughness. Is the kind of toughness. That's the kind of and, and they have no choice. That's the only kind of toughness they have a boatload of on the team. And that toughness is gonna to have to be successful. The fear of taking a penalty has to be what the Leafs do in the playoffs. Their power play has to have some jam, man. That it, it has to be tough. It has to be, you know, successful and scary. As much as Chari is. Yeah, and you know, I think this is where the Leafs are going to have to be very careful, especially against the Bruins. The Bruins are going to play that style where they're going to be, you know, they're, they're going to be very aggressive physically and they're going to try to frustrate the Leafs into making mistakes that way. And the Leafs cannot take the bait. They've done a pretty good job of that this season, but they really need to watch out for that in the playoffs. Absolutely. And that, and that's the job of, you know, Brendan Shanahan and, and their GM. That's, that's their job. The team can't retaliate. They've got to rely, and that's, you know, that's Babcock's job. That's the coaching staff's job. But more importantly, it's Shanahan's job to establish an ownership of the Leafs to be brave and go up against the owner that runs the league, who happens to be the owner of the Boston Bruins. That's the biggest challenge. And then add to that, they've got a, um, a president of the team, Cam Neely, who's a frighteningly angry person. He's scary. So, you know, it may not even be a willingness 
to, to you know, let Chara off the hook. Can you imagine having to call Neely and tell him that Chara's getting a suspension? That guy's an angry bird. Yeah, you know, he that's the thing. He can be a very angry bird. Um, I, I, it, it's funny, hearing all that just reminds me of what Drew Doughty said about Matthew Kachuk yesterday, which, I mean, there's not many players that say the things that Drew Doughty says, but watching that yeah, game, so just watching that game, Kachuk knew he was inside Doughty's head, that he could do anything he wanted, the refs are not going to call it if he gives a nice little slash, a nice little cross check. But when Dally retaliates and in a bigger way than Kachuk's more subtle jabs, Dowdy's going to get the penalties for it. Um, so that's that's an example. If you're looking for something to be careful for, if you're Leafs fans, Dowdy and Kachuk are the main example of how players try to do it. It's their style. There's not many that do it especially that do it well, but they will do it. Absolutely. And it has to happen. You know, um, you have to figure out a way to get in the Bruins' head, you know, and and it's going to be a challenge. And, uh, you know, Anderson has had no no long-term, no full long-term success of getting inside the Bruins' heads. Unfortunately, uh, his play in game seven last year means that, they're in his head more than he's in their head. The Leafs have had some success against the goaltenders uh, that the Bruins have, you know. Uh, so uh, that's going to be part of the, the important thing, and that is confidence and, and, re- and removing confidence from the opposition. But the Bruins are going to be a tough team to outconfident. You know, this is a team that has built a reputation over this season that it doesn't matter who wears the Bruins jersey that's going to be a tough player to play against. That's one thing that, if you're a Leaf fan, I think is what scares you the most. Having watched them all season, no goaltending, injury, all that stuff, they have overcome it all. They have been a total team effort, always playing the way it takes to win and to beat a team like that, that knows they can overcome adversity. Damn. It's, it's going to be a challenge for the Leafs. Oh yeah. And you know what? Like, you know, if you're a hockey team and they know it, you know, nothing comes easy and you don't want things to come easily for you. So I think I'm hoping that that will make the Leafs better going through these tough, these tough challenges because, you know, I, I, it's always better to win when, you know, things are hard because it just teaches and it's, it's more, it's more gratifying. It's more satisfying that way in a way. Sure. Do you want to make sure that you, you're in a, the best position to win? Of course, but you kind of have to play the cards you're dealt. And I think the Leafs, I think are going to have a better understanding of that this time around than as opposed to last year. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, let's leave the playoffs there and let's talk about the immediate history and then talk about the future that comes up in the next week. The past week, we have the opportunity to discuss on Tuesday the 19th 
Nashville clobbered the Maple Leafs 3-0. Man, did they suck that night. But they didn't suck that bad. They That game there, I think, was one of their better games. I I, I don't I really oh I hate I hate doing this. I kind of I hate when announcers do it. I hate when commentators do it. They played a great game. They had a moral victory. Oh my god! But that's all it was. It was a moral victory. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the whole moral victories. Like, unfortunately, if you tell the players. Hey, look! You play well, but you didn't win. The players really only care Congrats. about the results. So, like, yeah, Congrats. did they have a better? Did they have a better game after allowing five plus goals in four straight games? Yeah, their defense was better, but they didn't score. Nashville knew that this was, and Nashville's not exactly the most offensively gifted team either. You know, they're oh, they're a defensive. No. We saw it. they're a def- team that grinds you out they're, defensively. Their strong, their strength is all on the back end. Yeah, so that that was annoying in the sense that the Leafs had their chance. Like, how many times did the Leafs get robbed by Rene? I think there was one from Tavares where he had an open net, could have made a one-one. It's those sort of things that can really you have to. It's good that they kind of got a taste of that because they hadn't really gotten a taste of that recently because when they were down, you know, they were either down and just really just gave up. This was good because they didn't give up. They were still pushing to the end. But, again, it's another loss. And it was another loss where you saw that it is. Yeah, it it all is a process, but it was – yeah, no, it was. It's, and you're right, though. It is a process, and what this showed is that you know the Leafs have to kind of be a little more creative at times when a goaltender is has your number to try to figure something out. Yeah, and and and, and when I say a process, okay, I, I said I don't like moral victory because it's never a victory. Um, I, I would say a. A morale loss would be a better description that I could appreciate. In, in other words, there are losses where you, there's hopelessness, where, where there are losses that make you feel hopeless. And what I will say is, in defense of people who talk about moral victory, there are losses that give you hope, you know, especially if you're a team that's losing a lot. You know, you have to, you know, you have to look at a team and the process that it takes to be a winning team and realize that you don't win 82 games a season, you know, and every team at one point in their time, they are at the bottom of the heap and getting to the top of the heap isn't always instantaneous. It can be, but it isn't always. It takes getting better. And, you know, when take, for example, the Islanders, their goaltending, was awesome from the beginning of the season. But their goaltending was awesome because they had a system in place that helped the goaltenders to look that good, to be that successful. So when when the coaching staff and, and, and the GM look at the team and they go, oh, okay, look, see, the, our defense is really good. If our goaltenders can do a little bit more, the team's playing well, you know, we can make this happen. So it's about building 
confidence and an approach that wins. The Leafs in that loss to Nashville showed that they could bring the effort and that they could also be, you know, play well. They did lose, but it gave them enough opportunity in Austin Matthews' time to make a comment that, you know, later on, uh, that was basically saying, we suck, we need to be better. As long as you, uh, you or we can, and then we can be better. As long as as a team, you have the confidence and you have the ability to say to yourself, we're in this. We just suck today. We got to be better. You know, if you're in that position, it's a lot better than being a team like Buffalo that was playing really well and then hit the skids and have not been able to recover to any extent after being so successful early. Remember, there was a very short time where they were ahead of Toronto, if you remember. So, you know, it, it's not it, it, it's not easy. And, and you said it, and I'll say it a different way. Being successful can be very fragile. And it's important that that fragility doesn't take you over. Yeah, and, you know, I think when the Leafs were in that rough stretch, they were fragile. Like that week, they they were a fragile team, and I think that's why people are a little more relieved after seeing them at least put forth a better effort um, the past couple of days, you know, the past, especially the last couple of games offensively and just really try to dictate the pace. Um, really what it's going to be now is, if it gets tough again, like a Nashville or New York game, are they going to be able to just put that behind them? Are they able to overcome that? I think that's probably going to be the important thing. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, winning is not a, is not a guarantee. Uh, Winning, uh, as I said at the beginning of the program, uh, a lot of different qualities that a team can or does have, both negative and positive, can add up to success. You know, there is no, there is no, you know, there's no master formula, you know, other than people saying you have to work hard and have talent. Bit of, bit of generality there. Specifically, specifically, there are many aspects to a game that lead to winning, starting with the goaltender and then working your way out from there and right onto the bench and right into the GM's office. All those things, again, I repeat, and we're talking about the possibility of success for the Maple Leafs. He's David Morissuti. I'm Candid Frank. And it's about the sum of your parts, you know. So uh, in conclusion, what I'll say is this, and then you can get your last say. As far as the league playoff situation goes, the Bruins have to win four games, or the Leafs have to win four games. The team that wins that fourth game is going to move on. And I don't think there's a guarantee that it's either team. So, and I, I don't think anybody really does. I think if I was a Bruin fan, I'd be nervous about playing the Leafs as much as, you know, the Leafs are, are nervous about playing the Bruins. Yeah, and I think that, you know, because the teams are just so close to each other, it's not like the Bruins have a massive gap in terms of the standings. It's like, I think it's four points now, if I'm not wrong, because the Leafs did win. Um, So, it's not like... 
Yeah, it's not like the Leafs are at least it's not like the Tampa where they're twenty points ahead. Like this is a very close second and third in the in that division. Yeah, so they are they're five points because of that reg, that overtime uh, loss for the Leafs. So it's a five point difference. Um, yeah, the Bruins allow less goals, but the Leafs score more goals. Um, I would say the Bruins are probably a better team at home, while the Leafs are a better team on the road. So there's a lot of different variables that are going to play in this type of series for sure. You're, you're, that is that is one thing that the Leafs have done well this year, and that is play on the road. So having home ice for the playoffs is not as important as it might be, confidence-wise, because they know they can go into somebody else's barn and they can beat them. You know, and, and they, they can. They really can. Uh, okay, we'll leave it there. Uh, we'll talk about the games. And as you said, Nashville, a lesson for the Leafs. I think they learned it. Uh, it was a necessary evil. Uh, and the evil was this fantastic offense that everybody talks about. Didn't score any goals. Yeah. Um, well, in, I mean, the Buffalo game... They were, I mean, that was just, Buffalo was just terrible. I mean, Nashville, they had a struggle offensively. Oh, Buffalo. I, I, think the, I think the Leafs helped Buffalo look bad a little bit. Yeah. Oh, the Leafs were relentless all night. They were on, like, the Bruins were turning over pucks because the Leafs were all over them. That's the great thing about that game. Is, um, I, I just think Buffalo... I mean, the Leafs at one point, I think, were out shooting them 17 to to 6, or it was like something like that. It was like the Leafs were just knocked. Maybe it was 17 to 2. I think it was. I was trying to give Buffalo a little more credit there. Um, But, yeah, I just think that, you know, Buffalo has really taken a dip ever since that that win streak. And... um, yeah, I mean, that was a game where the Leafs needed that type, needed a performance like that. They desperately need, they were a des- more desperate team in that game. They were, and uh, and again, you know, they, they won that game. Then they played the Rangers, and once again, the young goaltender, Georgie, stones them. I don't know what it is about this goalie. I mean, he's he's a decent goalie. He's, he's a de- decent he's prospect. Big. No, I mean, Russian goaltenders, not many of them are big. They just know how to – they're very calm in the net. I've noticed Russian goaltenders are very calm influence in the net, like a Vasilevsky, Gorgiev, um, even Bobrovsky. Like, they're very calm in their movements. And I think that's – that's something that gives them an advantage over a team like the Leafs is that they they can be very calm. They're pretty good in position. They don't allow many rebounds. But in this game, as opposed to the first time they played, I mean, in New, the first time they played New York, that was the more impressive effort because the Leafs had over 50 shots. In this game, I felt like the Leafs missed many opportunities. And that was frustrating them. And they weren't 
they were they were making it harder on themselves and a little easier on Gorgiev, who still played very well. But I think the Leafs had better chances in this game that they missed. Absolutely, absolutely. Open nets, wide shots. But these these again are, are lessons that the Leafs can learn. You know, uh, it's very important to realize that, and, and I know that a lack of offense and, and the ability to, 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 you know, pull the trigger and, and, and execute when it comes to scoring chances is important. I think it helps impress upon them how important it is to stop goal because they don't come that easy sometimes. And I think that's what, what's helped in their defensive game. I think that's the one lesson that can be learned from, you know, from an offense that dries up. Yeah, I mean, there are, there's always a, like, you know, every game there's a lesson. Whether it's, you know, what you do defensively, what you do offensively. Um, I just, that overtime goal. Uh, this is the thing about the three-on-three, and the Leafs are usually really good at three-on-three. And when you lose the three-on-three, three, it's one of two things. One, um, in this case, it was you know Matthews, uh, Neilander trying to go for the win. Matthews just had nothing. I knew as soon as Matthew was going for that line change, I knew at that exact moment the Leafs were in trouble. And, I mean, that's something that, as a player, you need to recognize, I think. And there's not as much you can do. I've seen a lot of games in overtime go that way, too. But again, uh, this is why another regular season moment where it's like the Leafs, you're not playing three-on-three in the playoffs. That's why I'm not Mm -hmm. as mad in that regard. But, um, yeah, I'm – oh, that game annoyed me in the way that I think the Leafs (laughs) did enough to win. (laughs) I, I have a suspicion, a sneaking suspicion. I have a sneaking suspicion that you don't stand alone with being frustrated in that kind of game. Uh, I totally get it. I, I really, really do. Uh, you're, listen, you're listening to Leaf Talk uh, with David Morissuti and Candid Frank. It's always a thrill uh, to have you on the program, David. Um, not winding it down, just wanted to uh, review for the folks what we're doing here. And, and what we're doing is talking about the Maple Leafs. We've discussed the opportunities the Leafs may or may not have in, in making it through the playoffs past either the, um, the Bruins or, of course, uh, the team that we all think uh, is the one that the Leafs are going to meet, the Bruins. We've begun talking about the road games, and when we come back, uh, we'll continue talking about the Maple Leafs and how they're doing. Players dash with skates of flash, the home team 
trails behind. But they grab the puck and go bursting up, and they're down across the line. They storm the crease like bumblebees. They travel like a burning flame. We see them slide the puck inside. It's a 1-1 hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Third period. Last game in the playoffs, too. Oh, take me where the hockey players face off down the rink. And the Stanley Cup is all filled up for the champs who win the drink. Now the final flick of a hockey stick and a one gigantic scream. The puck is in, the home team wins the good old hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey Oops. <laughs> Little technical dip. Up and Tom just scripts, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, we've discussed uh, the Rangers, and, and the, the final game of the week uh, is the one played uh, yesterday, which saw the Leafs do a good job against the team and do a bad job. Uh, it was a, a game that showed – it really did show – the impact of a great offense like the Leafs have and ignoring defense that the Leafs tend to do sometimes. We saw it, we saw it, we saw their game, uh, one that we're, that we know uh, can take them places and one that's holding them back. We saw that this was a perfect, you know, in a microcosm, this game was an example of what's good about the Leafs and what's bad about the Leafs. Yeah. I mean, um, I just remember I was watching that Florida game and it was, uh, what was the first five minutes or the goalie was already being pulled for Florida. And this, this is the thing about, Four minutes. and uh, I actually, the quickest yeah, I want to ask a goalie you, in the hockey league this year and ever with the Maple Leafs. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, Frank, um, as somebody who's uh-huh. watched hockey like me, if you watch the goalie get pulled that quickly, do you think it has more to do with the coach trying to send a message to the team, or do you think uh, he just so said, this goalie just doesn't have it tonight, let's get him out of there? What do you think of that one? Okay. Honestly, uh, in, in that particular situation, I will say that, the goalie was abandoned by his team and it was a wake up call for the team that they embarrassed their teammate, the goaltender. But I've also seen where goaltenders have been pulled just because they don't got it that night. But in this case, uh, it was done uh, to rally the troops, if you will. Yeah. And I mean, unfortunately it just didn't, um, it just didn't work, but um, yeah, that was that was a really weird game because you know the Leafs went up four one, and then I was kind of and then they were up four two, and I'm kind of like, eh, the Leafs better be careful here because I mean at this point Florida is just going to be playing a freewheel, um, freewheeling. So those that's the type of game where my friend's like, oh they won, but it, he wasn't happy with the one. I was like, well. 
you take the win when you get the win. But, you know, at the same time, there were some moments where I was just, you know, there was cringes. I mean, there was the one goal where Zaitsev completely screens Anderson, doesn't block the puck, doesn't really do anything. I, oh. Oh, that was awesome. So that was, that you was know, brutal. block it or get out of the way. Block it or get out of the way. And, you know, some of these mistakes that Zaitsev makes, they're like mistakes that you go, you know, hockey 101? And I have a lot of faith in him, and I just think that his confidence is shaken, and and he, I just don't think the role that he has with the Leafs, it suits him. I know everybody wants him to play a certain way, and they think that he can with the Leaf organization. Thought he could anyway before he signed this contract. But there is a, there is a, I don't know, I don't know. His head sometimes, you know, <laughs> it's it's the same thing people accuse Gardner of. You know, so much ability. But with Gardner, it's that he does so many great things that when he screws up, it looks really horrible. And I think it's because he does play so well. You know, if he was a, if he was like a, a Marinson or, or or one of the other defensemen that's trying and, and you know to to survive and, and remain in the National Hockey League, he wouldn't look so bad. It's the contrast, and I, I think the same thing applies with Zaitsev, where you sit there and go, "Wow, look at the way he took that guy out. That's friggin' awesome. What a great job he did." And then the very next play, the guy he's like Swiss cheese. You know, his consistency is horrendous, horrendous. I don't know how you coach that guy. Well, that, that's the part that really gets me because, you know, this is his third year in the league. I mean, I know it takes defensemen time to get custom to the NHL, but this is his third year in the league. And, I mean, the first year in the league, he didn't do a lot of this stuff. You didn't see this from him. Second year, you know, there was injuries, there was the virus, you know, illness. Uh, so, you, and there was the, uh, I mean, at the end of the season, there was concussion. So you were wondering if he was just all there. This season, I don't know what exactly it is. Is it mentally he's just not there? Is he not able to handle the pressure? Because we know that the narrative is a lot of people, kind of like us, are really putting the, you know, not the blame on, but really going in on him. So, but for a guy who a who's Russian and doesn't speak a lot of English, doesn't do a lot of interviews. I think he's rather fortunate that he, you know he doesn't have to face the music as much. But maybe the coach is being really hard on him. I mean, we know this is a guy that Babcock likes because last minute of the game, if they're up a goal, he's on the ice with Ron Hainsey. So we know how the coach feels about him. I just don't know. Yeah, is this a thing where the handness, because he's a right-handed Shaw and he's playing the big minutes? I don't know. If maybe that's probably it. But they they really need to do something about him because I'm not comfortable with his his inconsistency. Well, you know that's that's an off-season thing. Uh, they can't do anything about it now, um, but. Uh, I guess the hope is that he somehow magically returns to the player uh, that he was when he first came. But here's what I'm going to say the problem with him is. And the problem with every player in ensuing years 
of their play. Just like goaltenders, it's true with defensemen, it's true with offense uh, forwards as well. It's true with coaches, it's true with GMs. You develop a pattern, and amongst the things that make it a pattern, there are positives and negatives. There are things that make you successful, and there are things that help you fail. Now, the reason you fail is because those negatives aren't dealt with. The league has a book on Zaitsev. First year. What do we do to make this guy inefficient? You know, get on top of him. He makes mistakes as soon as you're on top of him. Predominantly, the mistakes he makes are made when players don't give him enough time. Once he, you know, once he gets that first or second stride, he's a, he's a good skater. So, you know, he can, he can make the move and get out of the ice, but he can't seem the problem he has. This is, I'm not a coach, I'm not a hockey expert, but I'm going to offer it anyway. He just needs to be able to have the confidence to separate the opponent from the puck. Whether he does it physically or whether he does it with speed and or, you know, uh, being able to take the puck away using just his stick, he has to do something because when there's a, a when there's a puck up for grabs, it really is a 50-50 proposition. Problem is, it's in his end. You know, it's different if it's a 50-50 proposition in the other team's end. But when it's a 50-50 proposition in your end, that can lead to a lot of crap that you don't want to deal with. And that's what I think it is. He hasn't. Uh, the, the least, whether you want to blame the coaching staff, whether you want to blame Zaitsev directly, his weaknesses are being exploited, and he's not dealing with those weaknesses. You know, it's the same mistakes over and over again. You know, the definition of insanity? Uh, I think it's just, you know, Babcock is a coach that something drastic needs to happen in order for him to make a change. You know, last year he finally decided if he likes Leo Kong. Yeah, and there's players he likes. Yeah, there's players he likes but he doesn't want to you know, move. Like last year Leo Komarov was playing top six minutes playing over you know, 18 to 20 minutes a night uh, and then in February, him and Matt Martin, Matt Martin was taken out of the lineup, and Leo Komarov was pushed right down. It took a someone, someone had to either either someone went into his ear, or you know he finally realized that it has to stop. It was just not working. The players not performing. Something has to change. I think that that's what it has to take. If something drastically bad needs to happen. I mean, that's probably the only – and in a way, Anderson has kind of saved Zaitsev with, you know, the times that he's playing well uh, in net. Yeah. But something will have to happen, either an injury to Zaitsev. I mean, you never wish an injury on a player. But something like that or just, you know, where he goes like every time he's on the ice, a team like a team scores on him. And you don't want that because then that means police are in a really bad situation. But I think that's what it's going to have to be. Well, they've got a junior right-handed shot that I think would be a good candidate uh, to be one of those players that 
doesn't have any experience in the NHL and gets his first shot during the playoffs. I can see that happening, depending on how it, how it goes with him in the playoffs. Yeah, that we have um, we we have a, an opportunity here to discuss the games coming up, and let's take it. Philadelphia uh, played a great game against the Leafs a, week, a, a while ago and uh, just couldn't finish. Uh, James Van Riemsdyk had a hat trick. This is a team that unfortunately had a real bad start to the season, appeared to create an opportunity for themselves to maybe make a make a rush to the playoffs. Uh, the loss against Montreal, as much as it raised the you know the the strength of a playoff opportunity for the Montreal Canadiens, pretty much put a knife in you know in the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, what do you think of that team, and how will they react now that it appears their hopes for a playoff spot uh, are are missing? Will, will they? Is it, is it is it soon enough after the the belief that they won't make the playoffs for them to be you know a little off kilter, or will the realization and or the desperation make this team a real challenge for the Leafs on Wednesday tomorrow? Um. I mean, Philly has been it, – it's tough. I, I don't think Philly has been very good. Uh, I mean, James Van – we know James Van Riesenthal, as you mentioned, has been really good for them. Uh, a, it depends on who's in net for them because I think the rookie, Carter Hart, has been their best goaltender all season. Um, and it really – I mean, I haven't looked, but it, it kind of just seems like the playoff race is between um, – it's really between uh, – Columbus and Montreal. Like I, I don't think as much as yeah. Philly yeah. will say that they think they're still in it. They're not mathematically eliminated. It's tough because what are they going to be really playing for? That's a dangerous sort of scenario. I just think uh, you know the Leafs in you know with the way Philly can play in Philadelphia, that can be a dangerous game. But I'm. Um, it's, that'll be interesting, uh, but I think, yeah. Flyers can acquire 12 points. They have six games left. 12 plus 80 is 92. That means Columbus with 86 and Montreal with 88. You know, just call it a tie, right? And then the the row, you know, right up, you know, regulation and overtime wins. That means that Montreal just needs to get four points in their final six games, right? That's that's two and four. They can go two and four, and the Flyers don't make the playoffs. And Columbus would have to go one and one and five for the Flyers to make the playoffs. So we, I think, I think that describes the desperation that the Flyers have. And that's assuming the Flyers can win out, right? So yeah, desperation now is yeah. yeah, that's the thing. So they'll be tough for the Leafs. Okay, we've only got a few minutes left. Let's go real quick with the um, Ottawa. Uh, they are a team with uh, that. That I, I guess there's some blackboard stuff motivation for the Leafs. Uh, the owner said the Leafs basically. You know, and then you know, hit a nerve. No, no defense. 
Uh, do you think that'll help the Leafs come up for that game uh, and or make Ottawa a little more tentative? I hope so. Um, Ottawa has a couple players right now that are playing for, you know, a role in the future of the team. So, and we saw that uh, the last time they played them. But I think the Leafs. I think you'll see a better Leafs performance this time around. This was, you know, during that sl- that really rough stretch. Um, but I mean, I-, I hope these comments from Nell and Nick really light a fire because they were pretty. You know, Mel. You know, a team is really self-conscious about themselves when your owner is talking about your rival team. So that's all I'll say about that. Yeah, um, a good a good first game of the three that they have to play after the Flyers, the Islanders. Revenge time. Can they do it? Can they can they uh, win one? They're going back to the island. Uh, will it be another you know emotional? game that the fans are as fired up as they were? No. But I think it'll be a high percentage of the kind of fired up they were the first visit for Tavares. And I think that in itself, you know, I say that because the fans know or think that their attitude towards Tavares was part of the reason why their team you know, their team won. They'll have that. What do you think? Um... I mean, yeah, I, I think so. I think that, you know, that, that does definitely play a factor into it. Um, but, I mean, at this point, uh, yeah, Ottawa is trying to, uh, you know, they don't want to lose out because they know what the, the draft pick situation is for them. But at the same time, uh, yeah, I, I think that's and, – and when you look at the Islanders, I think that that was just – an all-out situation where the Islanders went all out on them, and I, I expect, and the Islanders have been playing, haven't been playing great. They've had a couple of impressive wins, but they've had some pretty rough ones too. So the Leafs, I think, just can't let the game come to them. They have to really go at it in this one. And finally, uh, Carolina, good test for the playoffs. You know, this will be a good test at home against a team that has great goaltending. Uh, I like I like this Carolina team, and it'll be a good challenge for the Leafs. I think you know um, they they are a team that's played really well this in 2019. Like they've been one of the better teams. They've had some good wins. Um, I'm to, very curious. We'll have to leave it there. Yeah, we'll I'm very curious. Thanks. He's David Morris, Studio. I'm Candace Frank. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next week. Have a great one, everyone.